Friendship power flop. Friendship power flop. Let's go shonen flop. Let's go shonen flop. Welcome to this episode of Shonen Flop, where we talk about manga series and shonen jump that didn't make it big. I'm David. I'm Jordan. And this week, we're talking about Bone Collection, and we're joined by our guest today, Sarah. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. I remember when Gabe just was like, I need to thank you for being a guest on your show. (laughs) (laughs) That guy's a goof. All right, Jordan, why don't you lead us off by really telling the listeners about Bone Collection? Oh, boy. So, Bone Collection is set on a version of modern-day Earth where people have to worry about regular attacks from yokai, a kind of Japanese spirit that is trying to invade their world. Protecting humanity are exorcists, humans who are able able to use spiritual energy and talisman. Leading the exorcists are the four exorcist kings, the most powerful exorcists. The main character is Jinai Kazumi, an exorcist who is notable for having almost no spiritual energy. To make up for this, he is able to use a forbidden technique which lets him team up with yokai by borrowing their power, as he believes not all yokai are bad. He has a fated run-in with Pyra, one of the rulers of the yokai world. Pyra has performed a ritual which is slowly turning her into a human and decides she is now Kazami's fiance. Kazami is able to speed up her becoming a human by literally taking the bones out of her body, which each have their own special abilities, as tools to protect Tokyo from evil yokai. Eventually, they and their gang of friends deal with miscellaneous yokai shenanigans. Near the end of the series, however, they go to the yokai prison island, where all the most powerful yokai are kept, in order to deal with Kyuubi, who has broken out. Eventually, they defeat Kyuubi through the power of marriage. No, I am not kidding. The series ends with a five-year time skip, where the main characters have managed to convince the world that not all yokai are bad, and now humanity lives in harmony with these spirits. What a pile of shit. Man, it's crazy, though. So you have, like, these spiritual invaders from another, like, world, and then you have, like, these protectors. Where have I heard that idea before? Yeah, it's almost like it's in half of all manga. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm, Bleach is just too original. Let me make it even more generic. This is very Bleach, except shitty. Shittier. (laughs) Shittier Bleach. Preview of your six-word summary. Yeah. Bleach is great when it's great, but, you know, it's got moments. Yeah, that's true. Bleach was fine for its first, like, three or four years. Yeah. This manga is not very good. That's a spoiler. I'm sorry. We haven't gotten to final verdicts yet. I'm sorry. How dare I? Yeah. Jordan, God. What I found amazing about your summary here was that you left out, like, the entire middle chunk because of just how completely irrelevant it is. It just doesn't fucking matter at all. (laughs) Yeah. When I was writing it, thank you, Jordan, for reading my description. You're welcome. I was like, man, this is great. Because people were like, can you write more about the plot? Like, nothing important happens for, like, maybe, I would say, 12 out of the 15 chapters. So I can just be like, and then they went on adventures, and it didn't really fucking matter. No plot relevance at all. This manga has so many false starts. It just sets things up that are just completely fucking irrelevant. And then it tries to do something else, and that winds up being shitty. So the author is like, no, wait, I don't want to do that. None of that mattered. Never mind. Wait, shit. Let's go back. I generally don't read manga, so this was just a new experience for me in general. I try and stick to quality, not always successfully, (laughs) but like, here I am reading through each of these chapters and trying to see like, okay, do I need to remember this? Okay, take this down, take this down, and I'm taking down notes for the chapters because I have to talk about it later, and like... Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I just, like, wasted my time trying to remember everything. The worst is when, like, I'm writing the character descriptions, and, like, I can just delete, like, a section on a character because they never show up again. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Which is a really good segue into us talking about the characters. I would say there's probably about four main characters. So I want to give a shout out, though, to my coworker Tucker, who was really awesome and actually volunteered to give us a MP3 of character pronunciations. And he also gave us kind of some background of how you read the kanji and what it means. We 
might actually be releasing the audio file as kind of like a special just because it was really cool to hear some more details about how these names work and what they mean. Yeah. To go into it, the main character series, as we talked about in the description, is Jinai Kazumi. And he's kind of this by-the-books loser main character. He's like a Naruto figure where he's kind of like an outcast from the rest of the exorcist. He is super weak. He has almost no spiritual energy. But to make up for it, he has this unique talent that he can borrow abilities from yokai to strengthen himself. And so this is considered like a forbidden technique because, as it turns out, if you do this, it slowly can corrupt your soul and turn you into a yokai. And this is actually people abusing this magic is really how they got into the situation in the first place. I don't know if it does. Okay. <laughs> we'll get into that. Joy. We're going to go over this when we get to Akafuyu's Abe's section. Yeah. But yeah, so he's just complete garbage at being an exorcist, though. But his family is, like, one of the most, like, esteemed exorcist families. And that's how they kind of slip him under the rug. No, he is a beneficiary of nepotism. Like, openly. Yeah, super. <laughs> like, he is the worst exorcist in that whole universe. But in their defense, they literally ban the thing that he is considered, like, having a natural talent for. Yes. Because otherwise, he's actually quite competent if he can use the forbidden technique. It's like if Naruto was banned from using shadow clones. Yeah. It's the same idea, where Naruto's go-to most powerful move is technically banned right. but he's got exceptional abilities to use it in a way that mitigate the problems with at least I hope that was what the series was going for like as you guys said they don't actually show any of the dangers of him using this technique they just say oh it's forbidden because this can happen but literally there's no side the side effects ever happening <laughs> like the first third of the the series is like no you can't do this it's forbidden and then I don't know whatever the fuck happens in the middle and then at the end it's like oh yeah you have to use this and everyone who you thought said it was forbidden is like hugely in favor of this. We were actually fucking around and lying or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it, but there's a lot of inconsistencies in this plot and setting. My last note for him is he really, really loves boobs. That's very plot relevant for this series, as he is a huge simp. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that seems to be like a big shonen trope in general. Like, you're the loser MC, you have no personality, you're a blank slate, and you're wish fulfillment, but hey, you love the titties. <laughs> so here's the thing, I kind of get it, because it's like, okay, he's a teenage boy, but it's not a good thing in this. Yeah. Because it sort of winds up being the source of power. <laughs> yes. I think that ties in well into the next main character, Pyra. So Jordan, would you like to talk a little bit about his fiance? Her name's pronounced Paira, but we're gonna call her Pyra, because whatever. When I got the, like, pronunciation, he was like, this dude, like, invented this name, and he actually, in Japanese, had to include how you pronounce it. Even, like, Japanese people would not know this is how her name is said. So, she is really what's called a Gasha Dokoro, which is a Japanese demon that is, like, a 50-foot-tall bone monster. But she has the shape of a pretty girl with big boobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And when she first showed up, she's like this um character from another world who is treated as some kind of lord or lady in her world and expects everybody to view her as like an empress or whatever. Uh, but then she just kind of becomes a yandere who just really wants the main character to love her and winds up having absolutely nothing interesting at all about her character. But yeah, her basic deal is that she wants Kazumi to pull bones out of her body, which will somehow remove her demon energy and turn her into a human so she can marry Kazami. Something like that. Yeah. She has, like, a lot of potential when they first introduce her. She's commanding. and She's like, everything is mine. Everything bows to me. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing from that. No. 
Because she was like one of the rulers of the yokai world. When she first showed up, I thought, oh, okay, I like this character. That's cool. She's going to be this uh, commanding type of character who doesn't really understand humanity and is trying to, like, reconcile that with the fact that she wants to become human. No, no. No, that would be too much work. (laughs) And then, Sarah, would you like to go into the third main character, childhood friend of the MC, Tendo Reno? So she, I guess, Kazumi grew up with her. She doesn't come from, like, a big deal exorcist family, but she's talented as all hell. And she's, like, the best in their class, and she's good at everything. But then, once again, like, her personality just kind of falls to shit because she has a crush on Kazumi for whatever dumb reason. Her whole personality just becomes, like, jealousy in, like, the latter two-thirds of the book. Hey, hey, thirds of the thing? That means it has, like, a three-act structure. Sorry, like weird tangent there whoa it's funny how you're like the last third of the series and it's literally five chapters which is like maybe 10 minutes of reading (laughs) yeah it does have like a beginning a middle and an end granted the middle's not even useful but yeah that's like her whole personality she's suspicious she generally has good ideas except um there was one chapter where she like ran into what i thought at the time was an orphanage and told the kids to go home (laughs) (laughs) which was just like really Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, get the fuck out of here, you kids. Run into orphanage and go home. (laughs) She's like kind of a Hermione character, and then it gets forgotten. Literally don't even, like, bring her on the final mission. So, like, at the end of the series, they have, like, the wedding, and they have, like, the ceremony, and then they're like, oh, fuck, we should probably invite her to the wedding, and they, like, teleport her in because she wasn't near them when they started doing the ceremony. (laughs) Yeah. There was a moment where she, like, she wanted to help out, and the character we're going to talk about next was like, nah, go home. She was, like, sleeping <laughs> during, like, the final battle. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good segue into talking about the last main character, Akafuyu Abe. Jordan, I know you had some thoughts in particular that you wanted to say about her. Okay, so the deal with Akafuyu Abe is that when you first see her, you see this huge dude with, like, a triangular haircut and weird dark sunglasses, and he's kind of drawn like a creep, but then he literally splits open and a cute girl walks out. That's the actual main character. So her deal is that she is one of the four exorcist kings who are like, I guess the ones who are in charge of all the exorcists. I mean, it's not super explained. Yeah. Like, she's super powerful. She fucks with people. She's kind of a Joker-like character. She's like a prankster. But the big issue is that, so there's a lot of drama earlier where Kazami should not be working with a yokai. It is seen as against the rules. It's bad. All yokai are to be killed or destroyed until Abe shows up and is like, nah, don't worry about it. We're not going to enforce that. There's another section where they, in the middle section that does not matter, this happens. There's a little yokai named Milk Boy who pasteurizes milk by breathing on it. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot about that until I did the reread because it's irrelevant. And the reason it's irrelevant is because Abe shows up and is like, hey guys, as a representative of the government, I'm officially saying that this yokai is totally fine and can totally keep on doing what it's doing. One of the main characters legitimately turns to Abe and says, wow, Abe, you showed up out of nowhere and just resolved everything. (laughs) 
yeah, huh? <laughs> this is like chapter seven or eight before they even know how popular they're doing. So I think the author like just was like, oh man, this series is real shit. The last thing I want to say, the dumbest thing is we mentioned that the yokai spell, like the whole, at least the first section of this, is that the yokai spell is incredibly taboo. Like Tendo screams at Kazami when he mentions that he was going to do the yokai spell. When the main character uses the yokai spell when he was like a kid, he used it with like the weakest type of yokai. And even that, he was like imprisoned for like a month for literally like the lightest possible sentence for using that spell. Right. So it's a big deal until Abe shows up and is like, yeah, so I did some research and actually there's really no evidence that the yokai spell is actually bad. (laughs) It diffuses like one of the main sources of drama in a second. Yeah. Did you guys have anything character wise you guys want to discuss? I know he has a dad and a brother. Yoshinori Jinai and Aki. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I like his dad. His dad's kind of adorable. His dad, like, texts Kazami, like, where are you? Your father's lonely. And then he texts him a bunch of emojis. I'm about to die or something. Yeah, I'm about to die. He texts him, like, a bunch of little, uh, bitmojis that are just, like, sad. I thought that was adorable. Who wants that from their parents? Like, if I were to receive, come home, I'm about to die from my own dad, I wouldn't be like, oh, my dad's adorable. I'd be like, dad, what the actual shit? (laughs) Why would you say that to anyone? That's true. I take it in the context of just how silly the manga is supposed to be. But yeah, in real life, no, I would not like that. Fair enough. And then the weird thing is his brother is like secretly likes wearing women's clothing. It was a women's one piece bathing suit. That he wears under his clothing at all times, apparently. Which Pyra notices because apparently for exactly one page she has x-ray vision. Yeah, it's just dumb. (laughs) And then he becomes like her dog that she can ride. She's like blackmailing him. It's a whole thing. (laughs) Plot relevant. Yeah, totally relevant. Now that we've talked about the characters, why don't we shift to talking about the actual series itself? This series was written by June Karazaka. You're missing an R. Kira Razaka. There we go. Thank you, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Who was an assistant on the last Sayuki, which was also a series that got cancelled, so maybe we'll talk about it. Probably did not have the best mentor in the world of how to make a successful Shonen Jump series. Oh well. (laughs) Though the art was certainly a lot better. And the series ran from April 27, 2020 to August 24, 2020. So this is one of the most recently cancelled series we've covered. And it was 15 chapters in two volumes. And it was based on a one-shot that was published in Shonen Jump on August 26, 2019. It was nice though to read a shorter series because the last few series have been 30 plus chapters. So I was like, man, I'm done in like 20 minutes. This is great. I'm glad you had me guest starring on a 15 chapter series. <laughs> yeah. Well, our second pick was we were going to have you on the Bleach episode, but <laughs> that's only like 600 chapters. Well, don't worry because Super Eye Patch Wolf confirmed that Bleach actually wasn't canceled. God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the short length is a good way to discuss just overall probably why it got canceled after only two volumes. Sarah, why don't you lead us off with the things that you really did not like about Bone Collection? So this series failed for numerous reasons. (laughs) (laughs) The primary of which, and this I don't consider the hugest sin, but I mean, the art itself seemed to lack a lot of emotion. The quality was kind of inconsistent. Characters were off and off model, I remember, especially toward the end. I was kind of having trouble identifying like where certain characters were within certain panels it got kind of confusing at times yeah so one thing that i thought was really weird is it seemed like reno never was drawn at the same quality as the other characters yes 
And I didn't get it. Like, it's not like it's panels where everyone looks like shit. It was like, everyone looked fine, but then Reno just looked like he had, like, his, like, assistant draw her. Because he was like, oh, fuck, I forgot to put her in this panel. You go put her in. Something like that. Oh, there was another character who showed up in part of the middle irrelevant section who was like, oh, this is the most beautiful, popular girl in the school. I thought it was Reno briefly, because, like... Yeah, I had no clue the fuck that character was. Kind of resembled her. I'm like, no, I don't even remember this character. And you never see her again, of course. No, of course not. Well, she appears in, like, the literally, like, the last section. Like, literally, like, the last chapter or two when they do the wedding. <laughs> oh my god, the wedding. <laughs> So, I would say that the biggest sin this manga has is that the main character gets his power through groping. Yep. It's literally, he reaches into Pyra's chest, and every time it is treated sexually, like, the manga itself calls it, like, copping a feel or something. Wonderful segue into something that I couldn't stand was just the quotes. Keep going, but then I have a collection here. Oh boy, I'm excited. (laughs) So one thing I noticed on my reread is that Pyra does not start loving the main character until he gropes her. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. And reaches into her chest, and then suddenly she's in love with him. What? Yeah. There's a scene where he's like, oh, you gotta hold your hand in her chest for like eight hours this training. Yeah. Like, oh god, that was so dumb. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I like how he has to grope her no matter what bone he's using. Like, if he uses, like, a finger bone, he still grabs it through her chest. Well, no, sometimes he touches her thigh, David. You're right. Come on. It's always sexual. Oh, explicitly. Like, Pyra, at certain points, is, like, straight up, like, opening her shirt and being like, Hey, look, my boobs are right here. Come on, grab them. Yeah. So in the very first chapter, he dies. He comes across, like, a big, high-rank yokai and actually dies. Like, he gets impaled. (laughs) And as he's dying, he gropes Pyra. Yeah. And then, like, takes her power. I don't think he even knows he's taking one of her bones. He's just, like, you know, he's he's on his way out. He's grabbing what he wants. And there's literally a quote on page uh, 42 of the chapter. I have page numbers or something. He's dying, but still copped one last feel? Yeah. Like, by some onlooker, like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who killed him is saying that. The giant cyclops that killed him is saying it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just so happens, like... It turns out that lets you pull out a bone and use a bone as a weapon. So, which I also want to talk about is the art. The art is so bad. The first few chapters, it's like, okay. I honestly thought when I first saw it, like, oh, okay, maybe he's doing something that's, like, influenced by older manga, like maybe Osamu Tezuka, where the the art was a little looser, it was a little more childish or whatever. Maybe it's a little throwback to that. No, he just can't draw. It's like Golem Hearts, where this artist just isn't that great. Don't compare him to Golem Hearts, man. This this manga specifically by the end made me miss Golem Hearts. <laughs> we didn't hate Golem Hearts. No! Golem Hearts was just held back because he was a much better writer than artist. Oh my god, it's a shocker how much better the writing was in Golem Hearts than this fucking shit. Yeah, and then this is in contrast to Mashal, where, like, this latest chapter, he was like, oh man, I'm gonna really start, I'm gonna, like, put a lot of effort into my art. There's some places where you see him cheap out, but, like, that chapter, like, the latest chapter 32, I was like, fuck, that's right, the dude who draws Mashal can, like, really draw when he actually wants to. Yeah. And this dude just cannot. Comparing it to Mashal brings up the fact that this series 
series just like I feel like I've never seen it before where there are just things that the author thinks is funny that just I just legitimately did not think it was funny like it wasn't like I missed the joke or like I was like I guess but this was just like I legitimately was staring at the panel rereading it and I just could not process why this panel was funny there's like some joke about the way his brother sleeps and I stared at that panel for maybe five minutes because I just couldn't fucking understand what the joke was supposed to be I didn't even catch that that was supposed to be a joke I don't know the only things that stood out to me like they were supposed to be funny were like some of the quotes but once again they're terrible things like she has huge boobs you get the death penalty i remember that one (laughs) yeah (laughs) oops i was talking so much and now i'm in a bind that just had the same energy as uh syndrome you sly dog you got me monologuing That's great. Just the pacing of the dialogue and the scenes and combat. There are so many weird things that interrupt. It's so true. Like, the pacing in this is fucking abysmal. This author does not know how to set things up or pay them off in any way. Like, things will be resolved in, like, one chapter and then they won't matter. Or, or, like, one panel and then they just won't matter. So much of the middle part is just a bunch of, like, unconnected gags repeated over and over again. Yeah, like, adventure of the chapter. The orphanage guy, the the yokai who ran his own little orphanage. Literally, he was just so drunk, he couldn't be good or whatever. Yeah. The kids would bring him booze. There was this one line, like, mid-battle, flashbone strike, please drink in moderation. (laughs) It just was so strange. Oh my god, that fucking fight, where this demon gains power from drinking a lot, so he drinks it so much, he drinks so much that he becomes a inebriated, like, drunk berserker. But don't worry, because he has a sake bag or like a second stomach stored in a horn. To be fair, I wish I had something like that sometimes. Totally, it would be great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But what it does is by inventing this organ, it makes a situation where, oh, the character, the main character can just attack that part Mm -hmm. and not hurt this character. Very convenient. Even though that was the whole conflict. This series really, really wanted to do kind of like a classist, ethical, like, society message. And then the author was like, never mind. That's a lot of work to have, like, a really complex, like, meta-narrative to the series. Let's just make it, like, bullshit Monster of the Week adventures. Because, as we talked about, there's no downside to him using this forbidden technique. They, like, just retcon it. I don't even know if he knew what the hell he wanted to do with this series. Chapter 5, they introduce one of the kings, and then they make, like, all these jokes. And, like, the issue is with the king, you now have, like, one of the most powerful people in the society like on your side and agreeing with you but yet they don't introduce any social change <laughs> it's like if you had like the vice president believing in your policy but then he doesn't actually go to bat with you for social change mm-hmm. well how is one of the top four most powerful people in the entire society not able to bring up this issue at all well that's not fair david at the end they do succeed by convincing people that yokai can be cute <laughs> Yeah, but they don't explain why they never do that until the end. Well, it took five years. But they didn't want to show that process, which I think would have been way more interesting than everything they did. Like, okay, this is like an actual like change they need to undergo, and people need to relearn things, and there's like integration, probably consequences, and weird like conflicts, and trying to integrate everything, and it's just, nah, the kids thought it was cute. Well, Sarah, here's the problem. That involves too much conflict, and you have to juggle that and like think about the implications there. Instead, you know what would be better? What if we just keep repeating the same tired anime cliche joke about how uh oh the girl really wants to marry the guy who doesn't want to marry her 
Also, she's incredibly jealous and violent. Let's just repeat that same goddamn joke over and over and over again. Hey, women have trouble without a man in their lives. That is so hard for me to say. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I bet this dude and the guy who made Guardian of the Witch are both best friends, and they're part of, like, some sort of Japanese manga-creating, like, incel movement. Yeah. Where they're just like, we can't get laid because they just talk about how shitty our series is. No, it's their fault. They don't understand how we're taking the truth about women should be subservient, (laughs) and, you know, it's right to hit women. I mean, to be fair, consider their audience. (laughs) The weird, lonely people on their couch. They're usually in their 20s and 30s, but they're like, oh man, I wish I was in high school surrounded by busty (laughs) young girls who are really a thousand years old to justify my pedophilic urges. (laughs) Like, it's sad to say, but that's the audience. So that's one thing this author, I don't agree with it, but he's playing to his audience. Well, I do want to say, first of all, I feel like you're just coming after us, like, right there. (laughs) But second of all, in Japan, the target audience is teenage boys. Yeah. That's an important thing to remember. Like, over here, it is kind of, like, generally speaking, older. But in Japan, it is still a comic for teenagers. Okay. That's something I wasn't acutely aware of. That kind of makes it worse in a lot of ways. Because it's like, hey, guys, isn't it cool to just, like, grope these girls? And man, girls really just want to tie you down, don't they? But (laughs) you know us guys, we don't like commitment, right? <laughs> what was it? Like bra size parties they were doing in the first few chapter? Like, yeah, we got this one with H cups. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> we got four F cups. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this ties into my last thought about it. It's just there's also no world building <laughs> at all. I think it's cool that he tried to make, like, modern-day Japan, and there's yokai, and it's not like it's a secret. Like, everyone's aware, like, the first chapter, the main character's like, oh, guys, I gotta go deal with a yokai when he's in the middle class, and she's like, okay, yeah, I'll see you later. So, clearly, it's normalized, but then they don't really say, like, how this has affected society. Like, yeah, we see the dude with the milk yokai, but that's really an element that really should have defined the entire culture of the series, rather than being, like, a one-shot that never has any, I guess, kind of social consequence in terms of normal people's life, not just people interacting with, like, the politics around dealing with yokai. Like, like golem hearts. Yeah. The main conceit of, of that uh, manga is that there are these things called golems, which are like little clay creations that can do things for you. And it completely revolutionizes the world. Everyone's got golems, you know? They're the things that you use to cook things or the things you use to build things. Uh, so you, you get this sense of the world through that. That doesn't happen at all here. I, I mean, there's even one section where like these two normal people are walking by and they just see like a weird yo yokai by their feet and they're like ew a yokai and like okay first of all you've already established that there are seals preventing weak yokai from showing up so i guess that doesn't matter anymore and second of all so this just has no effect on the culture like they're aware of yokai and they're not even like afraid of it they just think it's gross there's no consistency that is a minor section but it is endemic of the main issues with the whole comic as a whole which is there's no consistency things do not build on each other And they just don't connect. Like, at one point towards the end, suddenly, out of fucking nowhere, they try and introduce this big bad named, uh, Hubie, who I got a big fucking problem with, but he shows up, and all of a sudden, there's, like, blood and gore. Like, the manga tries to be Chainsaw Man for, like, a page. (laughs) And it isn't effective at all. Oh yeah, he wants to, like, steal his tail back from a young girl who otherwise has no purpose or personality. She can't even talk. No. 
There's no consequences. It's not like they're sitting there being like, oh man, look at all these dead bodies. Look at all these people who were killed. Like, even in Chainsaw Man, when that happens, uh, you remember they kill like a thousand people and just list off every name? So, for context, so Chainsaw Man, which everyone should, of course, be reading by now if you're a vigilant listener of this podcast, but essentially what happens is there's this evil demon, who I won't say because it's big spoilers, and so this demon's trying to take over the world, and the president of the United States, like Donald Trump... makes a deal with this demon called the Gun Devil and says, go nuts, but you have to take her out. And the Gun Devil just goes to where the demon is in this town, just kills thousands, tens of thousands of people in the fight. And they literally print the name of every single person that dies during the fight. It's actually an amazing moment. I just love the concept of Donald Trump making a deal with the Gun Devil. Yeah. (laughs) He says, I will give you a year of every American's lifespan if you can kill this demon. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh. It's a great manga. Boy, that's painful. (laughs) Ah, fuck. That was still a big spoiler, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. No, but what this character QB does is there's this girl who's kind of like a human who was partially possessed by a demon, and apparently she's possessed by QB's tail or something? So QB kidnaps her because he wants to take it back, which leads to the most uncomfortable panel in the entire comic, which is QB with his hand inside her chest. And the drawing is not, like, explicitly sexual, but we've spent the entire comic saying when you put your hand inside Pyra's chest, it's like groping her. Like, great, so there's just a panel of this bad guy molesting a child then? So this girl is like definitely preteen. Absolutely. She is like 10 years old. It's bad. Yeah. And then they burst in on a giant bone motorcycle with mohawks because nothing matters at all. This is the last chapter, so he's like, oh, I don't have to care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> then they have like a giant magical wedding, which resolves all the issues, by the way. Man, this manga sucks. It really sucks. Oh my god, there's so much bad shit in here. I was concerned reading it. Like, I have no frame of reference, and I don't want to just say, like, it sucks. I want to, like, explain why it sucks, but it's so hard to pick apart, because it's just, it's inconsistent. And the characters have, like, no personalities, and it's literally just, like, blank slate teenage boy and, like, eldritch boobs. (laughs) Wait, eldritch boobs? That sounds like a really great, like, prog rock band. Oh my god. <laughs> Eldritch boobs. The, the general, like, theme seems to be, like, blank slate teenage boy and Eldritch boobs. Is that a spoiler of your six-word summary? <laughs> the fact that we're at least having some fun talking about what a garbage fire this series is, at least <laughs> gives us... We're gonna talk about the positives now, because I can't really think about a tie-in anything into a positive about this series. There are some interesting elements that are worth considering about this series, so why don't I lead the conversation off? So I think... Genius segue, by the way. <laughs> thank you, thank you. See, it's not always just me complimenting my own segues. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually do think that 99% of the time the jokes don't land, but there were some really rare situations where the paneling was actually funny. I just love the scene where the main character is simping so hard for the main character... So she asks him for help, and then there's just a panel where you see her cleavage, and the main character gives a thumbs up with the nosebleed saying, I can't look the other way when people need help. That's my style. And I think that was the only time I laughed in this entire series. <laughs> <laughs> that was chapter one, right? Yes. One thing about this series that's pretty universal is this series is actually considered like mid-sequality for the first three chapters. Like, people actually genuinely thought this series had potential and it was interesting, and then you see the author just kind of, I don't know, he just maybe ran out of ideas 
is after three chapters, and he just stopped trying. It is actually literally the first three chapters. That's where I have most of my notes, yeah. Well, yeah, because that's where, like, the most interesting stuff happens. It's like actual interactions. Exactly, yeah. And the big issue with this manga, if I were to kind of crystallize it, is that nothing is consistent. None of the characters are consistent. None of the world building feels like it carries over. Nothing really matters. But in the first three chapters, that hasn't happened yet because we just learned about it, so it didn't have a chance to matter or not. So, yeah, there's some good shit. Well, there's some decent shit there. Some okay shit. I keep going down, but it's, you know. (laughs) We really thought it was going to have potential. The art also isn't terrible in the first couple chapters. Like, you could kind of get by with it. It just falls apart super hard very quickly after that. There's another funny juxtaposition. He seemed to have, like, a lot of, like, interesting, like, one panel of just, like, a scene, set the scene, and then a quote that's just like, oh, boy, that's not quite (laughs) entirely relevant. But there was another one I noticed. Uh, there was a close-up, once again, of Hyra's cleavage. Oh, once again! Once again, yeah. And the next panel, Kazumi says, Wow, so I really like your personality. <laughs> I noticed that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, really went there. <laughs> yeah. Also, there is actually the absolute best thing that it did. There is a moment when stopping QB, they burst through a window in a weird motorcycle made out of bones, I suppose. The boner cycle. Yes, a boner cycle. They mentioned that it is a Seikima 2 entrance. Now, I didn't know what that was. I looked it up. Seikima 2 is actually a really good Japanese heavy metal band. So thank you, Bone Collection. You introduced me to some cool heavy metal. <laughs> That's good. Sarah, how about you? Was there any other positives? The quotes, as bad as they were, they're, like, interesting. It's <laughs> like, oh, when you're nice to kids, they'll, they'll bring you booze. Yeah. <laughs> You're useless without my bone. <laughs> there was another one where um, I forget his name. The like the long haired, ambiguously gendered male uh, exorcist king, the really tall one, who basically every other word that comes out of his mouth was samurai. And one of his first quotes was, "That's not a very samurai thing for a samurai to do." <laughs> that's not very cash money of you. Yeah, the same energy as that's not very cash money of you. <laughs> yeah. There are moments where the jokes land. In the middle of fights, especially toward like toward the end of the series, like literally mid-combat, what rank are you? <laughs> I studied martial arts for cumulatively about three and a half years. Ooh. And there was never at any point do you learn to ask people, mid-combat, what rank are you? It's just like not even relevant. <laughs> I just love the idea of, like, a really intense uh, fight scene, and in the middle of it, one character turns to the other and is like, so what color belt do you have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Talking about that Bleach rank zero guy. <laughs> yeah! He's wearing a white belt, and he's like, who said my belt was white? And then he grabs, like, a paint bucket, and he, like, paints his belt black. Who said it was white? And then he wipes off the white paint. <laughs> exactly. In terms of how this series could have earned its rank, why don't we shift gears into talking about what could have happened to have maybe made this series not be quite so shitty. (laughs) So I would say this series is definitely in the upper echelon of series that I think actually had potential that it just really didn't use. As I talked about before, I think they really could have built a world. They really could have been like, here's modern day humanity dealing with yokai. Here's how things change. You know, like they show the milk production is different. Maybe technology goes through different ways. You know, maybe we don't need a car because you flying yokai as we see they didn't really play around with that in any interesting ways but also the fact that they don't talk about the social repercussions of the yokai at all because clearly there's disagreements at the highest level of the exorcist on if you 
Kai are universally good or bad, and we really could have seen that schism find out why is it that one of the kings knows the yokai are fine, but he can't bring this change. Is there corruption? Is there people above the kings that are saying we need to keep fighting the yokai because maybe it's a good source of revenue, maybe it's a way that they manipulate the rest of society by having this thing that people are afraid of, but obviously because this writer doesn't want to write anything complicated, that obviously never comes up, and they're just like, oh, we were all just misunderstanding and we had bad intel from a thousand years ago, like literally like, this went <laughs> wrong a thousand years ago and that's why it's banned. Whoops! It's like if the Lost Century in One Piece was just an accident. Can you explain what the Lost Century is? In One Piece, the thing with the, the Lost Century is that there is a period of time, I mean, it's a century, that's been just erased from the history books, and it's tied to the world government's power. Like, they are intentionally doing that, and you get the sense that if people learned about it, it would bring the world government down. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen here because this manga has no consequences at all. That was my biggest problem with it. Like, absolutely nothing happens when you fuck up. A third of the way into the thing, it's like, oh, we the four kings have to kill Kazumi because he used the spell, and then they need him. Go use the thing we were gonna kill you for. I know we already talked about what it did wrong, but I absolutely have to bring this up. The thing with Pyra is that she is an SSS-ranked uh, demon, but when she fights, she gives her power to Kazumi, who has no spiritual power, but he's like a giant empty vessel that can store a ton of spiritual power. Until there's one moment towards the end where Pyrus starts hitting people and then there's exposition that goes oh yeah, see, she couldn't fight before because she was giving her spiritual energy to Kazumi, but now because they trained, she can use Kazumi's spiritual energy to fight. First of all, they never explained that, so they didn't have to undo that explanation. They had to explain why it was in place in the same sentence why they explained why you can disregard it. And the second of all, that is the reverse of how Kazumi's powers are supposed to work. Not only that, like, I was actually kind of excited to see who is, at least within the context of this universe, the most powerful character do something. But, like, yeah, though, she can only do something because she's given some of her powers to someone else. That's the thing. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. David, uh, speaking of what could have happened, I think you touched on what might be, like, the most direct path forward from here. So Abe shows up, and Abe is fixing everything for them and helping them integrate into the exorcist system. Or I think the most obvious route to go from there is to maybe have Abe get killed or taken out and maybe get replaced with somebody who hates them. So now they're already entrenched in this exorcist organization and they have this system that knows everything about them, knows how to reach them, knows all this info, and now they have to fight against them. Like, they're not in hiding anymore. They're a known quantity. And that would create a bunch of tension. Maybe Reno is conscripted to go after them and defeat them. But of course that doesn't happen Abe lives and nothing matters. Yeah, something I think would have been really cool is if they actually played up the whole, he has to hide this ability. Like, he hides it for, like, two chapters and his brother finds out, and then, like, everyone finds out and it, like, never mattered that he hit it. Yeah. But I think it would have been cool if there was, like, maybe, like, a Western-style, like, Spider-Man where he's got these powers, he's now substantially stronger, but he has to hide it. So there's, like, maybe, like, an arc of maybe five to ten chapters where he's, like, actually fighting Yokai and hiding it. Slowly people find out. And that's where, like, you really get to see him test out his abilities, learn, and he doesn't have, like, the support system. But in the meanwhile, he has to hide that he is still incompetent. And be like this duality of where I can't get credit for all these amazing things I can do now because what I'm doing is extremely illegal. He just puts on like a superhero map. That would have been such a cool angle to go down. 
It absolutely would have been better, unquestionably. In terms of other little ideas, I think it would have been cool if she actually lost the bone he uses. Like, he uses a leg bone and she doesn't actually lose the bone, which is probably just shitty art. But that would have been cool if, like, I guess it adds, like, this damsel in distress element, but since she can still take care of herself, it would have been cool where she has to get creative and, like, how do you fight if your fighting ability is limited because he really needs to use your arm bone for this weapon, but then you can't use both your arms. That's a good point. Like, in terms of writing, what is happening is that Kazumi is taking her bones out of her body. So theoretically, well, she should be missing a bone there when he's using it. Uh, but no, you don't see any visible change at all. It seems more like he somehow created some kind of like, um, copy of her bone, which makes no fucking sense. It was something that absolutely needed to be explained and was not at all. Yeah. Or in the first chapter, when we first meet Pyra, it seems like she wants to establish her own kingdom, which is just so much more interesting because like, what if Pyra was evil? What if Pyra wanted to do bad things. First of all, it would mean that Pyra wanted to do something, which is something that does not happen later. She just wants to be his wife, which he doesn't want, which is a whole other thing. Those women, am I right? She would have been a way more interesting big bad. Yeah. The ruler of the yokai. Like, the most powerful character in that universe. And how does everyone band together to, like, either take her down, or hey, you learn at the end, like, she's she's not out to destroy <laughs> everyone. She wants to integrate, and we just misunderstood. I don't know. There's so many interesting angles it could have taken. As you guys can see, they introduced, like, a toolbox, and then they just put it, like, in the basement, and they never opened it. They got a toolbox with a bunch of really good tools but didn't know how to use the tools so they just kept buying new shittier cheaper tools and you still didn't know how to use those he's like hammering and nails with a wrench yeah I think this series really needed to make a decision if it wanted to be an action gag manga or a gag action manga. Do you want its focus to be a funny series that occasionally has fight scenes? Or do you want it to be a series that has fight scenes that's occasionally funny, like how One Piece is an action comedy manga, where that's always the center is the conflict, but then it still has a lot of humor, while in contrast, a series like Gintama, where yes, there's action, but it's always subservient to the humor. Danny Phantom versus Spider. I see, okay. You goddamn Westerner. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, what do you think? Which direction do you think would have better served the series? I honestly don't know which one I would consider this. I agree. First of all, I think it would have been better as a man, as a manga that is a gag manga with occasional action, because I think that's what, mm-hmm. that's the closest thing to doing something right that the author approaches when those gags kind of land. Because they do land occasionally. Yeah. I think that that is probably the closest to what he's going to be best at. Mm-hmm. He definitely does not have the chops for an action manga. He might for a silly little gag manga. I just kind of breezed through it and read the exposition after. The very least had a lot of exposition. Well, they needed the exposition because the plot changed drastically every few issues. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The author didn't have enough time to explain stuff because how else will he fit in all these dumb jokes and sexy shots? Yep. <laughs> Alright, do you guys have any last ideas for what you would have done differently for the series? Not make it? Wow. <laughs> this isn't worth anyone else's time. I'm not ruining anyone else's, like, half an hour to 45 minutes. <laughs> but you know what is worth our time is turning it to the miscellaneous thoughts where Sarah I know you have a quote list that you are very excited about reading 
So I did manage to cover a number of my quotes in the previous sections because they wound up being relevant, but I can recap some of the better ones here because we we can't get enough of these awful quotes. There's I demand pancakes. (laughs) There's the close up of the boobs followed by wow, so I really like your personality. (laughs) Here's one I didn't cover. It was just kind of like an off quote. Looking stuff up on Yahoo Answers is great. I used to troll on Yahoo Answers all the time. Yahoo Answers has some serious fucking gold on it. How is Babby formed? How girl get pregnant? They need to do way and stain mother. Who kill their Babby? Because these Babby can't frick back. My thoughts with the father. Who kill their Babbies? <laughs> <laughs> I am truly sorry for your loss. <laughs> I will say some of the weapons that Kazama pulls out of Pyra are, are kind of neat looking. My favorite one, though, is when he pulls out a Nintendo Switch, which is like a Switch that's made out of uh, that's made out of teeth and bones. Oh, fun connection I noticed. So the Switch lets Kazumi control like a doppelganger of Pyra. Yeah. And it's Smash Brothers controls. And I noticed so her, her eyes are like pluses, which is like the Smash Brothers logo. <laughs> That was, like, actually the first thing I thought when I saw her weird eye shape. (laughs) I think it's really interesting how this is, like, what Mashal could have been if the author had just fucked up everything. Yeah, if the author was really shitty and not clever at all. And couldn't draw. Then, yeah, I suppose he could have made something like Bone Collection. Because, like, on paper, Mashal really should be a lot worse than it is. Yeah, kinda. But you can find out more about why we enjoy Mashal if you listen to our previous episode. Yes. Episode 9, Why You Should Read Mashal, featuring special guest Adam from the Shonen Fiasco Show. Even if he likes to talk shit about us on his own podcast. Adam, I know you're listening, and we know. Yeah, we know, buddy. And then my very last thought is I just I just love how Bone Collection is such a funny name. Like, the author clearly knew, like, the Bone Bus at the very end. Oh yeah, the Bone Bus! I remember that series of videos! <laughs> So at the very end, after, like, yokai are normalized in society, the main character and his wife have, like, a tour group called the Bone Bus. Work as tour guides teaching people about yokai. I don't think we really touched on how this ends, which is that, um, after defeating QB, uh, it just jumps five years in the future and is like, so yeah, Pyra and uh, Kazami got married because they were in a relationship. They went on a bunch of talk shows and it really kind of started to change the public opinion on yokai. And now they just run a tour bus company. Yeah. I actually kind of appreciated that um, Kazami is no longer an exorcist. And then it turns out that Reno is, like, one of the four emperors, which is like, okay, I guess she deserves that. Yeah, she kind of did. It might have been better if she was the main character, honestly. She's way more interesting. I'll give her that. And then they just kind of wrote her out. (laughs) Well, because the author doesn't like women. Of course not. (laughs) It's fucking clear he doesn't. They're part of the incel manga group, along with, as I said... Oh, and the dude from Act Age. The one who got arrested for... Groping women on his bicycle. Girls, not women. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, so for reference, the writer of Act Age, which just got canceled, got arrested because he groped two underage girls while riding a bicycle. That is vile. Yeah. You can hear more about that story in our special mini episode, which I'll link in the show notes, where us and Audrey, a guest on the SWAT episode, where we did a special episode where we talk about really just how fucked it up it is and the whole situation and some other historical incidents similar. Because this is not the first time that a manga creator in Shonen Jump has been arrested for sexual conduct like this. It's unfortunate. It's extremely bad. So, Jordan, why don't you lead us into the final verdict? How would you say you would describe Bone Collection in six weeks? Grope big boobs to fight demons. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. How about you, Sarah? Blank slate loser meets eldritch boobs. (laughs) And then mine was Bone Bone Gadget, colon, what the fuck? (laughs) 
Because that's all I could think of is like Go Go Gadget, except instead it's bones. Okay. Could have had it where it's like he grabs her like tibia and it turns into like a helicopter hat. And that's how they fly. <laughs> they have a motorcycle bone. They have a switch, a bone bus. So actually a helicopter hat isn't that outrageous. No, not at all. And especially because it's a reference. I feel like I had to explain it because you realize what the fuck is he talking about with Bone Bone Gadget? I got it. Oh, well, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. That's why you're my favorite co-host. You're one of my favorite co-hosts. Aw, thanks. I know, I'm second to Shambalambadambaling. Shambalambadambaling, I get it right. Nope. (laughs) Okay, why don't we turn it to our actual final thoughts? So, Jordan, I know you, you very much want to talk about what your overall thoughts on this series are. This manga fucking sucks. It's a certified flop. It's garbage. I don't want to read it again. It just fails at everything it tries to do. It's a fucking mess. Don't read it. (laughs) And how about you, Sarah? Don't read it. Just listen to this podcast. You'll have a better time and you'll get absolutely the same information. You know what? If after listening to this podcast, you're like, I kind of want to read that again. You can just listen to the podcast over again. That's true, actually, yeah. Yeah, give these awesome guys another listen. Thank you. And then I actually disagree where I think this is just a usual flop. It is very slightly above in quality from SWAT and Beast Children, where this series sucked, but it wasn't a garbage fire, which is what I save certified flops for. And maybe I'm just biased because the series just had a lot of interesting ideas and there was occasionally some funny moments. But it's just like, if I think something below a 5 is a certified flop, where something below like a 7 is a flop, I consider this is like a 5, where it's clearly a failure, but it's more of a see me after class than a you have to repeat the year. No, this is bad for me. I, ugh, no. (laughs) Big disagree. Like, because it's rare when we actually have like disagreement. Yeah. Okay, and then since we all thought it was a flop, why don't we go around saying what you should check out instead of reading this pretty shitty manga? So, Sarah, what would you say someone should check out? I will plug, like, my absolute favorite anime I've ever seen. It's called Beast Player Eren. I'm not familiar with that. I haven't either. It is so good. It is slow-paced, has well-developed characters, interesting storyline, a lot of history. It's hard to find. I think it's on Crunchyroll. Nice. How about you, Jordan? Oh, man, I haven't thought of anything to plug. Oh, oh, I know. Seikima 2, the Japanese band that is mentioned in this manga. Good band. Check them out if you like some heavy metal. Pretty good classic 80s speed metal shit. I'm into it. (laughs) See, so you got some value out of the series. Yeah, that's true. I personally, I'm going to go with Ushishi, which was this anime that aired in, I think, like the 2000s. And it's actually about like this traveling detective kind of character where he goes around and he's investigating yokai related mysteries in like feudal Japan and just trying to help people out. So it's really interesting. It's obviously extremely different because it's not really a combat series, but it's just really well done. And it lets you learn more about kind of the traditional views of the yokai if you want to learn more about that instead of reading like some sort of junk battle series. Honestly, just watch Inuyasha instead. (laughs) Oh yeah, Inuyasha too. So Jordan, how would you rank this in terms of the worst series we've read? I consider this to be on par with Beast Children. Really? Oh yeah, no, I absolutely do. The only thing with Beast Children is it's longer. Mm -hmm. This manga, you get through pretty quickly. It's only 15 chapters. Beast Children kept going. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's still a little better than Beast Children. Like if I'm thinking about which manga I would rather read again, I would still rather read Bone Collection than Beast Children again, yep. but it's not by that much. <laughs> it's the second worst we've done. And as you know, I didn't give the certified flop, so I don't think it is worse than Beast Children. It will actually probably be very impressive to find a series worse than Beast Children. I don't understand how that was published in Shonen Jump in the slightest. So Sarah, definitely do not recommend you look at that one if you want to widen your breadth of mega series. Yeah, absolutely. And then do you guys have any last things you want to say about the series before we go to shoutouts? Just don't read it. <sighs> it's bad, man. Yeah, but why don't we turn it to shoutouts? Shoutouts where I can talk about some things that you should check.
check out and won't be a waste of your time. I want to give a shout out to Jordan for making our brand new theme song super awesome. We had a lot of feedback saying that just because of the mp3 quality, unfortunately, what Jordan had made just really wasn't translating well. It's still a really awesome piece of music. Definitely I'll try and put up a high quality version so you guys can check it out. But I appreciate Jordan you making a new theme song that plays nicer with the conversion to the mp3 from our raw audio. Yeah. I also want to give props to Aaliyah for making this episode's awesome cover art and Nigel Francis for being our generous art benefactor. I want to thank Tim Plumidor for his awesome work as our social media manager. And I want to give a thanks again to Tucker for helping us with all the pronunciations that you heard in this episode today. I also want to thank Sarah for taking the time to join us and talk about Bone Collection. <laughs> it's fucking the name of this fucking manga. I know, right? Happy to be here, guys. I say, <laughs> I say as sincerely as I can muster. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you want to plug? I have an Instagram for my snake. Ooh. Plug your snake Instagram. Presents. You can follow um, Silver Nugget BP on Instagram to see adorable pictures of my baby snake. That's an Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Her name's Nugget. She's awesome. Aww. Aww, that's cute. Before we turn to general shoutouts, I also want to give a really big thank you to everyone who has been liking, sharing, or reviewing our show on iTunes. It really helps us a ton. It's how we get more of an organic audience. In particular, those iTunes reviews are how we get featured better on the iTunes store, which is where most people are listening to the show. And so that's how we are able to continue to make this podcast as we continue to grow and reach wider audiences. In particular, I want to thank for shares, the Coney Bean Podcast, Jonathan Calton, the Shonen Fiasco Show, Iowa was Joe Crawford, Tyler Schroe, Gigum Ignis, Hellshake Brando, The Weekly Cooldown, Mitch Bergen, Mech Anime Review, Mr. Jakey Poo, Nerdy Flow, and James Restick. And for reviews, I want to thank Jordan Benage, Ebanks13, and Fesser Snowflake. And then turning it to general shoutouts, the first one I want to give is the Anime Brothers Podcast. It is a podcast where two blood bros, JD and Earthworm, talk about anime. You can find them on Twitter at Anime Brothers PC. The next one I want is the Catching Up on Cinema Podcast. It's a really funny podcast about friends introducing film to each other and getting their opinions on it. I'm going to play a little promo here. Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle. And this is a plug for our podcast, Catching Up on Cinema. Movies. Ever heard of them? I have. And each week we take turns introducing one another to films. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting us out of our respective comfort zones. For instance, Trevor likes movies that involve punching. And chances are, if it's obscure and from Asia, he owns it. Meanwhile, Kyle likes sci-fi, horror, dead protagonists, and good practical effects. You get the idea. So if you like space, ghosts, punching, and puppets, y'all, tune in on Tuesday mornings and find out what cinema we've been catching up on. The next thing I want to do is mech anime reviews. And so this is actually a blog rather than a podcast where this writer talks about mecha, JoJo, which, you know, is an anime series I'm not very familiar with, but I've heard good things, and other anime. I've never made a JoJo reference in my entire life. So <laughs> a highlight is in October, he's going to be doing Oshi October, where he's going to focus on the works of Mamoru Oshi, who directed a little-known movie called Ghost in the Shell. And you can find him at mechanicalanimereviews.com. Is that a fucking Marilyn Manson reference? Mechanical anime? Got an album called Mechanical Animals. Anyway, next is the We Get Dub podcast. It's an anime podcast that specializes on finding the most brutal animes possible, like Berserk. Jordan, it definitely sounds like your cup of tea if you haven't had a chance to check them out. Look, just because I like death metal doesn't mean I watch, like, a ton of brutal anime. I mean, I do, but that's not why. (laughs) Stop stereotyping me, David. (laughs) And you can find them at anchor.fm slash we get dubbed and finally i want to give a shout out to the kohai beans podcast it is a roundtable podcast dedicated to discussing all things anime you can find them on twitter at at kohai beans underscore and if you would like to be featured on the show just reach out to us we're always happy we really want to get back to the community especially our listeners just send us a message on twitter cool and then jordan i think you have something you would like to discuss 
today. That's right, it's finally happened. I have finally finished editing the third episode of Mission Ignition, which is about a bizarre TV show I watched in the 90s called Vampires. I'm not gonna even try and explain it here because I literally can't. It's a fucking weird-ass show. Feels like a fever dream, but it's real. So it took me eight months to finish editing it for literally no reason. So check it out. Mission Ignition. Yeah! And that's uh, with your co-host, uh, Yisho Bimble Babalaba, right? That is with my co-host, Shambam Bamina, and we are also joined on that episode by a guest host named Shagoff from the Homo Vulgaris podcast. I look forward to listening to it, and I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us today. You can find Shonen Flop on Facebook and Twitter at Shonen Flopcast, and our website, shonenflop.com, or on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcast. This has been David. This has been Jordan. This has been Sarah. And you've been listening to Shonen Flop. Keep on flopping, floppers.